Man, it's good singing this morning. I thought we sang so well at 9 o'clock, and you guys singing so well now. I just love the fact that we can join together, lift our voice, and praise to God. Amen? And what a joy that is. Man, it is good to be together this morning. If you want to, take your Bibles, and let's go to the book of uh, Acts chapter 5 this morning. Acts chapter 5, and while you're turning there, um, everybody asks me how we're doing, and... Um, because, of course, Allie went to college this week. We dropped her off Wednesday night, and uh, we, uh, we made it through because the Lees were there with us. If they hadn't been there with us, I don't think we'd have made it through that night. So uh, we walked that one together, and they just got back last night. Um, it feels like there's a pit in our stomach and something's missing all the time. Uh, and many of you have gone through that, and you know how to pray for us in that regard. But we do rejoice in our young people following the Lord. Of course, Miss Sam Abo, she just left this week to go down to uh, Bob Jones and down there. And, and uh, so we thank God for what he's doing in the life of our young people. i tell you what I was encouraged by this morning. I was sitting over here, and I was having a time singing, and I was listening, and these guys behind me were singing. And these young men, I was just rejoicing and hearing them sing. And I was about to have a fit listening to them sing, amen? And that's, that encourages my heart when our young people are lifting their voice with words like Jesus Christ, our living hope. And uh, thank God for young men that weren't ashamed to sing this morning. That was an encouragement to my heart. Well, um, today is our Vision Sunday night, and we're going to gather tonight at 5 o'clock for some pizza. 5.30 will be in this auditorium. If you're not coming for the food, just come at 5.30. Be here. We'll start ASAP, right there at 5.30, and get going uh, with some things we want to share with you. Pastor Caleb's already done an excellent job kind of bringing you up to speed of what's going to be happening tonight. But I wanted to pivot in the sermon this morning and kind of set us up uh, for our Vision Sunday night tonight. Um, I, I don't know about you, but anytime we go through a transition or a change, it's unsettling. You don't like that. And I mean, uh, I, I know for a fact that I don't like change because Wednesday night, I didn't want to leave my little girl in Chicago. I didn't want that at all um, because I don't like change. I, matter of fact, when I go to a restaurant, I order the same thing every time. I don't want to order something different. If they're out of it, then I'm mad at the restaurant. You know, just give me the same things. Um, but I have found that there are benefits to actually trying something new on occasion. I actually found I've eaten more new food since we moved here two years ago. I didn't even know they made stuff that you guys eat. I didn't even know that was even made. Um, like hummus. That is amazing stuff. I love that. Yeah. Um, Randy introduced me to that at a restaurant, and, I, and <laughs> I did this to you in the first service, too. I'll just do it to you again. It's not in my notes, I promise. It's totally made up. Uh, but this guy will eat anything. And so just because he tries it doesn't mean you want to try it. So, <laughs> so uh, but I, uh, we went to Waffle House, 1130 at night at Waffle House, and he orders hash browns, double order hash browns with cheese and onions and chili and jalapeno peppers. And he eats the whole thing, you know. That was Waffle House. And, uh, but, but he gave me, we tried hummus, and that's good, I love hummus. And so though change can be unsettling to us and we don't always like it when we go through a transition, and by the way, our church has gone through a lot of transition the last couple of years. And having to transition to online services for a time. And then now we've been walking back into church service. And we're trying to chart a course for the next 12 months ahead of us of what it might look like. Um, understanding that we don't control outcomes. But we can chart a course and say if the Lord will. You know, and when you step out to do something that you've not done before. 
or you're trying a, a new order of things, things can get a little nerving. And so I, the question that comes to my mind that I want to talk about this morning is when is it right to risk as a Christian? And uh, some of you say, well, pastor, I do it every week. I buy lottery tickets. But that's not the kind of risk I'm talking about, all right? Um, the, the kind of risk we're talking about is stepping out and trying something or coming out of your comfort zone. When is it right to be even ambitious in our risk and say, hey, we want to try to accomplish this and this is our goal. And, you know, when is it just man being full of himself and us doing it for God's glory? You know, what we want to do is understand that we should never have the attitude of we will go into this town and we will buy and sell and get gain. But rather we should say, if the Lord wills, we will go and we will do this or that. And I love, I love the wording of James actually says, if the Lord wills, we will live. Because ultimately our life is in his hands. And so we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we do know who holds tomorrow. And so this morning I want to look at this text of scripture that I think will give us some insight into that. And so there, if you're in Acts chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 12. And if you found your place, let's stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. <clears throat> In verse number 12, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And the believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Insomuch they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches. That at the least the shadow of Peter passing by it might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Now in the Sanhedrin you would have two parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees would affirm the resurrection of the dead, they would affirm the fact that there are miracles and that there is a spiritual war and a spiritual battle. They would affirm all of that. The Sadducees, on the other hand, denied all of that. There is no resurrection. There are no miracles. There are no angels. None of those things existed to them, and they were arguing against it. And so you can see how all of these signs and wonders that are going on in this text was really hitting the Sadducees in the face because all those that were coming were healed. And so now they have to reconcile what's going on. And so they hear this and they rise up in anger. And so um, in so much in verse number 17, and the high priests and they that were with him, which is of the sect of the Sadducees, were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have, to have them brought. And when the officer came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison is truly found, we found shut up with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captains of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. 
And when the captain with officers brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. And when they had heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the word together this morning. Lord, may our hearts be in tune uh, with the text of the scripture today. May we hear uh, from you this morning as we walk forward for your glory. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that you show us and is so evident on a daily basis. And in the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You can be seated there if you would. The church is infant in its age. It's just getting off the ground. The day of Pentecost has come. The Spirit of God has indwelt the believers and empowered them to do works and continue on the work of Jesus Christ. This whole context is the picture of God doing miraculous things in troubled times. And when I look at this, we start with the context of Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira were the couple that kind of saw that people were selling everything they had and giving it to the church to meet the needs of the church and the poor. And they thought, oh, wow, they're getting a lot of praise for what they're doing. So let's kind of jump on that bandwagon. So they sold some possessions and took some risk. And when they sold what they had, they looked at it and said, well, we'll just give part to the church, but we'll tell them we gave everything. And so they do that, they give part to the church, and Peter looks at Ananias and he says, why has Satan tempt your heart, tempted your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And he said, no, no, we're not lying, this is what we sold it for. And literally he said, look, while you own the land, it was yours. When you sold the land, the money was yours, but now you're lying to God, and so God's going to deal with you. And the Bible tells us that he dropped dead, right there in the church. Can you imagine that one? I mean, that's not really a Sunday school program you plan. You know, and it's not one that helps attendance either. If your people are dying when they're coming to church, it's not good. Um, and yet God's purpose was to show the holiness of his work. And so then what happens, his wife comes in a little while later and she stands before Peter again and Peter asks her and gives her a chance to kind of come clean with what's going on and she doubles down on what her husband had said and said, no, 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 everything that we have given is what, what we sold the land for and still holding this position and continuing to lie. And he says to her, he said, the feet of the men who carried your husband to his grave are at the door and they'll carry you to your grave and she fell down dead. This is a very sobering thing to mess with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, every time God confirms a covenant with his people, we see a time where God shows the seriousness of that covenant. And here God confirms his covenant, and there's a seriousness to it. One commentator, and I agree with this, I think, he said, I think God deals more severely with a holy church than he does at times with a carnal church. And the reason being is God purges fruitful trees 
not unfruitful ones. And here we see God dealing with this church and setting some things right. I've always found it interesting to read this text in verse number 11 of chapter 5. And he said, in great fear came upon all the church. You think? Great fear came upon the church. There was a holy dread of what was taking place. There was a seriousness of the work. But what we see is the work of the gospel moves on. The work of the gospel is never stagnant. It's never standing still. It continues to march forward. I want you to see a few things this morning as we walk through this text together. In verse number 12, we see powerful works being done. God is doing powerful works, and he's doing so confirming the message of the apostles. Many signs and wonders were wrought among the people. And so we see God doing this powerful work, but then we see in verse number 13 and 14, and the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. What do we see? We see a separating of observers from the saints. A separating of observers from the saints. Many were coming and gathering with the church that were not a part of the church. They were not believers, but they wanted to see what was going on. How do you remember even in Jesus' lifetime when he stood before Herod, Herod wanted to see some miracle. He wanted to see some kind of show, and many were coming to see what was happening, and they were excited about that. But when this started happening, and the people in the church were falling dead because they messed with the Holy Spirit, they're like, oh, let me step aside for a second here. And they begin to back away. However, the Bible says those that believed were more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. You see, I think what you see is the two contrasts here, observers as opposed to saints, those that come to see what's going on that are not really born again, and those who are truly born again and a part of the church of God. You see, I was talking to some group of pastors, and we were early on in the, the whole process of what do we do next with the COVID, and, and God had kind of put a group of men together that I was already talking with, and we were able to sit down, do some Zoom calls, and and have some discussion and seek some wisdom from one another. And one of the questions came, he said, do you think that this is going to hurt the church? And as I thought about that, I said, no, I don't, I don't think it hurts the church. Because I don't think troubled times ever hurt the church. I think troubled times reveal the church. We've spent the last 20 years in America where the church's popularity has been going down, down, down. Or 20 years ago, uh, it would be a very common and almost a good thing, and let's back up even a little further than that, uh, to where it would be in favor for you to acknowledge a religious affiliation. And nowadays, it almost works against you, that you would acknowledge that you believe something. And these things work against us, and we see the church going in this direction. We see the fact that it is less popular, and there is going to be greater oppression upon the church, and we even see that happening in our present day. But in the reality of it, what I do think is though the numbers may get smaller, those that are here are those that believe. Now, by no means am I saying this morning because someone is at home because of their health or any reason that they're not a part of what's going on here. That's not my analogy today. My analogy is we continue to mark forward with the gospel, that those who believe the gospel will stand up and be counted with the gospel and will say, yes, this is where we stand and we go forward. Notice the believers were more added to the Lord. The believers were added. You see, what I desire to see happen at Shelby Bible Church is that we would have Fruit that remains. Fruit that remains. Young people that believe the gospel and would be added to the Lord. Senior saints who believe the gospel and would stand with it. 
Signs and wonders were coming, and they were confirming the words of the apostles, and there was a continuation of the ministry of Christ. These were being done boldly and publicly, and there was no denying what was going on. But then, as always the case, persecution returns. Persecution comes back in on the church. Look in verse number 17. The high priest rose up, and they that were with him, which are the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, let me remind you, this is not the first time that persecution has come to the church. For that matter, it was the Lord Jesus Christ being hauled off to prison that it was his resurrection, and in that climate that these men started doing what they were doing. So persecution was not something foreign to these men. They had already been called before these men and been warned not to preach in his name, and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his sake. And now here they are preaching again. The gospel is spreading all throughout Jerusalem, and it's just there's no place you can go where the way is not being heard. And the gospel is being heard at every street corner and in the temple, and the Sadducees are feeling the pressure. And I, I'm glad this morning these men were not trying to lay low and keep their head down until the Lord returned. And by the way, church, it has never been our job to hold on until Jesus comes back. It's always been our job to take ground until the trumpet sounds. I still believe the gospel saves lost souls. It changes hearts and changes minds. And I don't understand how it works, but it is a miracle when it does work that he can take a sinner and turn him into a son. What a powerful thing. You see, the church wasn't hunkering down and just saying, man, the world's so bad and everything out there is so bad and what are we going to do? No, no, no. They were making a stir over the gospel everywhere they went. They had been warned by the powers that be, don't preach in this name anymore. And they said, but I understand your warning, but you need to understand our commission. We've been commissioned by the God of heaven to preach this news to everyone that will listen. And so despite your warning, we must obey God rather than men. And they go on boldly. Well, the nature of the persecution, it was done to, to slander them. The Bible tells us in verse 18 that they were put in a common prison. They were not just held overnight, but they were put in with the common criminals and stuck down there. And it's kind of, you kind of get the image in your mind that these men were just shoved in there to humiliate, to intimidate. You're a bunch of criminals. Your message makes you a criminal. You can imagine the news headlines, you know, troublemakers of the way, now incarcerated. You know, and they're, they're, they do what they can to make it look bad. Let me say this, let me remind you again, God's in charge of taking care of our name. Let's just lift his up. Let's lift his name up and let God be the one that protects us. These men are in prison now. They have a record. <laughs> Note, it's not what they had done that gets them in prison. It was not what they were doing. I think a great argument can be made that the church helps a society. History is proof of that. There's a good that, that the church does for a society. There is a morality that is taught there are our young people that you ought to obey the laws. Here's the thing. If there is not a God who compels us to obey the laws of the land, you can't hire enough police to make people obey them. There has to be something on the inside of you that tells you to obey. There has to be something on the inside of you that tells you to be, to do right to your neighbor. 
And so there is a benefit of the church. So the problem is not the benefits being done. They had healed sick. They had cured diseases. They had cast out demons. Make no mistake, our good works will never shield us from opposition. These men did not object to the good they had done. They objected to the name they preached. It was the name of Jesus that was the problem. And this morning, the world doesn't have a problem with spirituality. We're all for spirituality. If you ever wonder if we're for it, look at all the yoga stuff. Everybody's about spiritual. The issue is not spiritual. The issue is the gospel, that you are a sinner and Jesus Christ is the only answer. And at that point of contention is where society backs away. And we must stay faithful to declaring that Christ is not a way, he is the way. They were doing their best to ignore their work that was done. You see, if they acknowledge the work done, they must examine the claims of Christ and they willingly walk away from that. What was the motive for their persecution? The motive is very clear here. He says that they did so with indignation. Indignation is the idea of zealous jealousy. They are zealous with jealousy, desiring to push their jealous intentions forward. It's the concept of when somebody sees themselves as your superior and they perceive you encroaching on their space. And they wanted them out of their space and out of their face and out of their hair. You see, the sect of the Sadducees had a monopoly on God, and now these simpletons, these fishermen from Galilee, are crowding into our space, and they're meeting at the temple and causing all manner of trouble. I mean, all this trouble they're stirring up. Listen to the trouble that's happening. They're healing the sick and casting out demons and raising up the lame. Sounds horrible. But do you see how so twisted this is? Because when the minds of people are blinded to the gospel, they cannot see the good that the gospel does. And here, if these men had wished to silence these simple men, they could have done so by displaying the fact that God was using them to change lives. But they could not. They didn't have the power that these men had. They didn't have the connection with God. You see, the Sadducees doctrine. They, as I said earlier, believed in no spiritual world, no resurrection. Uh, They were offended at every turn by all the signs and wonders that are going on from the hands of these simple fishermen. Another night in prison comes along. They're thrown in prison, in the common prison. And then, verse number 19 through 21, and the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. We see these men getting a commission again from God and at the midnight, in the night hour, the angel of the Lord comes in. It's a miraculous prison break. You know, nobody knew this even happened until the next morning. We're not even really told how it all play-by-play play took place. We're not told, you know, what, what exactly happened in the prison. Basically, all we're told is the angel showed up, opened the prison doors, and said, hey, go preach. And we get a just very run-down thing of what's taking place. He said, hey, guys, go preach the gospel. And so the doors are opened. I love what uh, Carter and Earl says in their commentary on the book of Acts. He said, God has a master key that will unlock all prison doors where his servants may be incarcerated by the enemy. 2 Peter 2 and 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. 
Now, the irony shouldn't be missed here either. The Sadducees do not believe in angels, and yet God sends an angel to set his apostles free. It was with the angel that they didn't believe in that showed up and set them free in the first place. Let me say this morning, man's unbelief does not alter divine truth. It's still true. It doesn't matter if men doesn't believe it, it is still a true thing. I not only see this, but I also see encouragement in the night. These men were in prison. I wonder what it would have been like when the doors opened. What an encouragement it must have been to see that angel. What would that, have, what would that picture in your mind of those doors of that prisoning open and this angel walking in and saying, hey, I got a message. You guys are free. Go preach. What an encouragement at midnight it was to see that angel come in. And God knows when it is night in your world and in my world, and he sends deliverance when we need it in his time. He has not forsaken us at midnight. God is always present. They get a confirmation of their course of action in verse number 20. Go speak to all the people the words of this life. I love this wording here, the words of this life. The words of this life. Go preach the words of this life. What is he talking about? The words of this life, the life that you've been given in Christ, the salvation you've been given. What is he saying? Go preach Jesus. Go proclaim Jesus to this lost world. Go stand there and magnify who he is. The response of the apostles in verse 21a. In verse 21a, the Bible says this, and uh, he says, uh, and when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. As I read that, I think, and you know, I, I think if that were me, I would say, you know, I probably need a couple of days before I go do that. Take a short break. I've been in jail. I just got out of jail. You know, need some time to kind of recuperate. Need some me time. That's not the apostles at all. I mean, at least call in late, right? You know, just like give me till ten o'clock today. You know. That's not what they do. I mean, they get the message. They spent the night in prison. They get woken up in the middle of the night. He says, okay, guys, go and get ready to preach. Daylight's coming. And the Bible says early in the morning, they went to the temple and they're preaching Jesus. And they go right back to the scene of their arrest, preaching Jesus again. See, they heard the message and at first light, they proclaimed this life. You see, confidence to move forward in spite of opposition and fear, and even sound reason, only comes from some sort of intoxication. Now, I want to say that again to you because I want to make sure you understand it. Confidence to move forward, to take great risks, in spite of opposition, fear, and even sound reason, only comes from some sort of intoxication. You say, Preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, I think some men are intoxicated by pride. And it causes them to risk greatly because they're just full of themselves. There's nothing they can do. You know, there's a song 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I'm 10 feet tall and bulletproof. You know, I can do anything. I can, ha I can make it happen. I said in the first, uh, the first uh, service, you know, the last words of a redneck are, don't you? Hey, watch this. You know, it's just, watch what I do, you know. I'm going to go jump and try this. And we, we risk because we're full of ourselves. Look what I can do. I think not only does pride and self enter into this intoxicating category, but power often does this with men. These men were stepping out, and sometimes men in their power and their own strength think they can accomplish it. And of course, we understand that 
Anything that would alter, any substance that would alter us, such as alcohol or drugs, will make men not themselves. And they will do crazy things when they're under that intoxication. And they will run and they will deny any kind of reason and they will run in face of opposition. There's no fear left in him. There's no inhibition left in. They'll just run right into the face of it. Pride and power and strong drink can do this. But I got news for you. We as believers do not depend upon any of these. But somehow or another, these men were stepping out in the face of what shouldn't be reasonable, and they were taking on what shouldn't be expected of them. What was the difference? Well, the Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye being filled with the Spirit of God. And it is the Spirit of God that takes over normal men and women and allows them to stand up to opposition and preach the gospel to men as they are, that they may hear the gospel as it is. And it's only through that Spirit of God that this accomplishes it. This morning, we cannot as a church do the work of gospel ministry anymore in our own power. It'll never be done in our power because if you're doing it in your power, when reason opposes you, you'll sit down. And when logic opposes you, you'll sit down. And when, when good argument opposes you, you'll sit down. But when the Holy Spirit of God is empowering us to do the gospel, then we'll march forward in the face of opposition, in the face of discouragement, in the face of diminished popularity, and we'll continue to do it because we didn't start doing it because it was popular. We started doing it because we're empowered by the Spirit of God to do it. And we step out by God's faith. Let me just remind you this morning, don't have a view of the gospel that is this narrow. Understand the work we're doing is a part of something that's been going on for two millennia. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, the day the resurrection took place, began to march forward through time and history, and it hasn't missed a lick yet. It continues to march forward. And in every generation and in every nation that is proclaimed, men are transformed, women are transformed, children are called to the gospel, and the gospel will not stop marching. The gospel will not be silenced by threats. It will not be obscured by intimidation. It will not be bound by chains. It will not be obstructed by laws. It will not be stopped by kings. It will not be quieted by the powers of this world. Persecution causes it to spread. That's got to be aggravating. The more they press it down, the more it spreads. Mocking stirs up interest. Opposition sharpens our blade that we can know the word of God. No matter how many times the gospel of Jesus Christ is pushed down, it will rise up again and again and again and again until the Lord Jesus Christ himself descends from heaven with a shout and he plants his foot on this earth and he rules and reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. This morning, do not hang your head. We are on the winning side. The gospel marches forward. Politics can't outwit the gospel. And governments can't outlast the gospel. Now you listen to that one. Governments cannot outlast the gospel. Nations have come and gone. They have risen and they have fallen. But the church of Jesus Christ continues to march forward. And I got news for you. If the Lord tarries his coming, if we're looking at the trajectory of our nation, there may be a day when American history is just that. It's history. 
And if that happens in my lifetime, I'll grieve with you. I love my country. I'm thankful for the freedoms and this experiment that we've had for 240 years now. But I got news for you. The gospel didn't start when the, Plym- when the pilgrims stepped on Plymouth Rock. The gospel's been going a long time before that. And if, if America falls into the dustbin of human history and it's never heard from again and we don't read about her in prophecy and all the questions about that, here's the reality. The gospel continues to march forward. And Jesus Christ, you said, preacher, what are we going to do? We're going to shed a tear and we'll get up the next day and pick up our Bibles and we'll preach Jesus. That's what we'll do. And every time we have another Supreme Court decision that seems to go away from what we know to be the truth, and we've seen it. And by the way, conservative Supreme Court has not been favorable to us. They have made their decisions that have walked away from what we know to be truth. And here's the thing, don't put your hope there. Sure, we can be thankful for our ability to be involved and participate in our government, and I think we should, but don't rest your hope there. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Put your hope in the gospel. Understand that his work will march forward. This morning, governments can outlast the gospel, and Satan can't copy it. The church did not birth the gospel. The gospel birthed the church. Keep that in your mind and your heart. And the church will continue to go forward for his glory. So then, these apostles did not ask if the course of action they were choosing was safe. That wasn't even a part of the discussion. Is it comfortable? I don't think they called ahead to the prison and checked out the accommodations. They weren't asking if it was popular. And here's something. They weren't even asking if it was effective. I believe the gospel is effective. But if we're not careful, we can put so much weight on outcome that we'll fail to do it before the harvest comes in. The harvest is a few months away at times. And we must be faithful in the middle of summer because harvest hasn't come yet. They weren't even asking if it was effective or enjoyable. That wasn't the question on the table. The question is, is this what God would have us do? And if this is what God would have us do, then let us cast safety to the side, put comfort on the back burner, not even question whether it's popular, and let us step out by faith and say, God, this is what you're calling us to do. Then count me in. Let's go. Because they believe God could protect them. You see, if you need to measure every deed by human reasoning alone, if only the safe, reasonable, comfortable, popular, enjoyable course is available to you, then you will never build an ark. You will never confront a Pharaoh. You will never part a Red Sea. You will never see manna eaten in the morning. You will never see the, the, the walls of Jerusalem built again overnight. You will never see a giant slave. You will build no walls out of rubble like Nehemiah did. You will walk on no water. You will see no Pentecost. You will win no lost souls. And you will deliver no addicted person. Because if you want to stay comfortable, then stay comfortable. But if you want to go do what the gospel calls us to do, then we have to get out of our comfort zone and go to where people are and preach the gospel to men as they are. It's going to take risk. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's not going to leave me in my comfort zone. You see, it is only when men 
have been obedient in spite of the obstacles that we see faith being lived out and God glorified. Often God brings us to circumstances that baffle our mind so that when we do step out, we'll be convinced it wasn't us, it was God. Because I don't know how that would work if it wasn't him. So then I wonder this morning how many Christians are just playing it safe. Keep it close. Don't ask me to change anything. Don't ask me to risk anything. Don't ask me to step out anywhere. You know, we disobey God's call because we fear man's opinion. I challenge you this morning. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. William Carey, he said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I love that. That's a wonderful balance of risk. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. To see God do that work through us and in us. See, playing it safe is not living by faith. Obedience is not always safe, but it is always faithful. And so this morning, why would we set a course? Why would we chart a course ahead? Why even have a vision Sunday? Why even give this? Well, first off, we want to communicate what's on our heart, what the Lord's leading us to do. That's part of it. But I think beyond that is we need to remember here that this culture we live in is dark and it's getting darker. And we need an organized and focused effort on reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reaching our children in our homes with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that when they come to church on a Sunday morning, they lift their voice like these young men do and they sing with us the praises of heaven and their voices are lift up and they're rejoicing in the things of God. That's what we need to see. The culture is dark and I get that. Here's the thing. What that ought to do is it ought to stop and let us realize that the mission feels right outside the door. You see, we used to, I remember, how many remember the, the slideshows the missionaries brought in? And then we did another picture, you remember that? All right, and we see those slideshows and they'd come in and it'd be another one up there. And I remember as a kid, I always got excited on Sunday night when there's a missionary coming with a slideshow. I'm like, all right, this is the closest to TV in church we're gonna have, you know? And, um, and I remember him coming in and setting that up and I'd be standing around watching it, half of them be upside down, you know? And he'd have to get up and turn them over. And I remember being there for those events and we're thinking, you know, man, look at those pagans who don't even know about God and don't even believe that God exists or they're worshiping some false God somewhere. This morning, you don't have to go to a foreign country to find pagans. You just need to go down to Partridge Creek. And I'm being dead serious. Our schools, our colleges, our homes at times, they're pagans right there. I don't mean that diminishing. I mean that to say there's a mission field. It's a mission field right in front of us. And so yes, the culture is dark and it is growing darker but the, and the time is short. I don't know how long the Lord tarries is coming but I want to run until he comes again. I want to race toward the finish line because I, I, I don't know about you this morning but when that day comes I want to hear him say well done that we've run our race and we've poured ourselves into it and we said, God, this is what you called us to do and we've been faithful at it. But here's the reality this morning. 
The time for us individually is short. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a moment and vanisheth away. We spend so much time pursuing silly things when our time is short. And that's why we want to focus. Because the culture is dark. Because the time is short. But then why bother with that? Because the gospel is still powerful. And it changes lives. And it makes a difference. And we can go with the gospel and make a difference. And so tonight when we gather again, that's what's going to be on our heart. I hope this morning that you will have a heart that would surrender and say, God, here's my heart. Use me to change lives, to save a lost soul, to convince men of sin. What a privilege it is. I don't know if you've ever had that privilege to sit down with somebody and share the gospel with them. And through your talking and through your interaction with them, over time they come to know Christ as their Savior. It's a powerful experience. And by the way, that's not a spiritual gift. That's a biblical command that we would go and preach Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word and its sufficiency. Or thank you for what you're stirring in our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would do a work that only you can do in our lives and our hearts. Uh, Lord, as I think through these moments, Lord, show me in my heart where I come up short. Expose in me where I'm holding on to what is safe instead of stepping out for you. Is that work in us this morning? Let's stand to our feet right now and we'll sing together.